Nothing like coming on a Sunday morning, right? And then about to hear a message on taxes. Yeah. We're so giddy and excited because everyone loves taxes. Everyone, everyone, and by everyone, I mean Bernie Sanders. Mark chapter 12, verse, uh, <laughs> that was good, that was good. Thank you. Oh, they'll keep coming, trust me. <laughs> I'm full of it in a bad kind of way. Mark chapter 12, let's pick it up in verse 13. Just a few verses this morning. We'll see what the Lord has for us. Uh, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his message and his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. One more time, let us go before the Lord in prayer over the reading of his word. So Father, yet again we come to you, and we ask for your guidance. We ask for your help. We ask that you would... um, Speak now to our hearts, and may we have ears to hear, eyes to see, God. And perhaps maybe someone has walked in here, they're looking for a word. I thank you, Lord, that your word was just verbally spoken over our lives. And may it enrich us, and may it read us, and may we see you for who you really are, and see our sin, and see, and see our identity in you, Christ. It is in your name we pray. Amen. The story that uh, we find ourselves in this morning, um, yet we, we continue on a same pattern and a same theme as we have over the past couple of weeks, and it is one on authority. It is one where um, the religious establishment continues to question uh, his authority, and this is quite a controversial Uh, question that, man, they feel like they have really got Jesus trapped. The key issue that is being presented to us is, yes, authority, but it's also something maybe a little deeper than that. It's also one of allegiance because whoever has the authority commands the allegiance. So whoever is in authority has that right to command from us the allegiance that is due to them. It's an issue of choosing two sides. Jesus presents to them two sides that they have to choose from. It reminds me of a Abraham Lincoln quote, and Abraham Lincoln said, I know that the Lord is always on the side of the right, but it is my anxiety and my prayer that I and his church always be on the side of the Lord. Now, if I were back in the South, they would have said amen to that, but that's okay. 
we, we up in here in the Utah. For Jesus, uh, we, we, we just come out of Palm Sunday. Jesus has just gone through the temples and he's turned some tables and, he's, and he has seen how uh, this uh, religious establishment has made the temple into what Jesus says, the den of thieves, right? Jesus has cursed the fig tree and now we are just a matter of likely maybe a day, possibly a day and a half away from Passover taking place. And if you remember, as we have just kind of just nailed into our brains, Passover, large crowds of people, people pioneering from everywhere to get to Jerusalem for Passover. And so there are a lot of people here. And this religious establishment, they are not happy with Jesus, right? They're not happy with Jesus because Jesus uh, has had the crowds follow him. Jesus has had the folks uh, lead him into, right, on Palm Sunday, singing Hosanna in the highest, blessed be the name of the Lord. So he's had all the great crowds, and he's teaching with one, as what we have said multiple times, with authority. And so just think about the religious people who've been very boring. They just sit there with their papers, and they just read off of a manuscript, and the people become very bored by their dullism. And so the people are marveled at Jesus. And so the religious establishment, of course, they don't like Jesus. The 33-year-old carpenter always making them look like a fool, right? And, and it ain't because Jesus is like being vindictive in him making them look foolish. It's because they are just fools. And they keep trying to track Jesus. And in their trying to trap him, they always leave looking like a fool. Y'all remember that song, Looking Like a Fool with Your Pants on the Ground? That was like way back in the day. Don't even look it up because it's not even worth your time. I don't even know where some of this stuff comes from. Now, to understand this, and I, and I try to hammer this into us, and, and this is what I, I pray to God, that when I meet Jesus and I stand before him, he's like, thank you for always pulling context together because it's so important, as if he's going to thank me for anything, uh, because it's, it's so important that we understand context of what's really happening just so we can see the power of Jesus' statement before the crowd. And so most, I think, let's just talk about the tags first, because most of us agree that, you know, if we, we built a church, and we're like, hey, today we're going to talk about taxes. Like, I would just assume now, that maybe I'm wrong in my assumption that nobody's going to come to no sermon about taxes, right? Because we can all agree that taxes are a pain in the rear end. Now, 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 uh, yeah, okay, um, but, but for, for, for some of us who got pay, and then we feel like we're giving the government, and then you look at, like, legislation and, and all these bills being passed and all the money being spent, and, and that money that comes out your check and out your pocket, and you're like, my money's going to that? It's, it's disheartening. In fact, if you really look into it, it's quite depressing, but think about it in terms of this context with the Jewish people. It wasn't just a blow to their wallet. Think about this. It was a poll tax that was instituted by Caesar the oppressor. Caesar the oppressor. So in case a local tax wasn't enough, in case a temple tax wasn't enough, 
And if you lived up in the northern region in Galilee, then you had the Herodian tax. And so in case your local tax, the temple tax, Herod's tax, in case that wasn't enough, the empire would make them pay the poll tax, which was likely a full day's worth of wages. Now, maybe for some of you, that doesn't seem like a problem. But when you're already paying all these other taxes, and you got to understand way of lifestyle in ancient Israel, ain't nothing like it is in the USA. And so they're already not, you know, these people are already struggling financially. And now there's more taxes being imposed upon them. And that's not even the biggest issue with these people. And so we have this coin and inscribed on this coin was this face of the Roman emperor, of Caesar. And it is inscribed on a coin. Now, for Jewish people, they're sensible people when it comes to the Torah, when it comes to the law. They know Moses' law. They know that you shall not have uh, a, a graven image, right? No idol. And so every time they see this coin, what is this coin? It's a graven image. It's a graven image of an idol. Well, I think you're just, I think you're taking that too far. Well, well think about what's written on the coin. Pontiff Maxim is on one side, high priest. And then on the other side, on the other side, you have Caesar, son of the Most High. So Caesar and this coin and this issue isn't just about a tax, but it's also, more importantly, about what this tax, what this coin represents, that it is a graven idol. It is a person who is claiming divinity, Caesar, the son of the divine, Caesar, the most high. Now, in, in, in just to stretch this out just a little bit longer, if I can, in context, what are the people of Israel waiting for? All right, so think about this. You have Caesar, the oppressor, oppressing the people in their own homeland, right? It's like they can't even get comfortable in their promised land because it's not even really like a promised land. It's not even feels like home because they're not even ruling in their home. They're ruled by the oppressor, Caesar. And so for decades and, and years and hundreds of years, they've had sort of these, these revolts that have tried to take out the Roman Empire. Judas Maccabee, I, I think of. Judas the hammer is what they called him. He would come in and try to cause insurrection and, and so that the children of Israel would no longer be under the oppressive rule of Caesar. But every time they'd lose because that was one army you just wouldn't fight in that time. So the children of Israel, they're awaiting then this Messiah and their Messiah was laced with this anticipation that he would replace the kingdom with his own kingdom. Now, they knew the Torah. They knew 
the prophecies. They knew the law. And I'm quite, I don't know if they're thinking of Daniel 2.44, but we understand that this was what they were in anticipation because of prophecies like this. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Now, don't miss this. Because of the hatred of the children of Israel, or, or this religious establishment, I should say, the moment that Jesus comes out and says that he is the Messiah, he is the king, he is the one that is going to destroy all of these kingdoms and set up his kingdom rule, that is the moment that the, that the leaders of Israel have every right and every legal grounds for a Roman Empire-sponsored execution on Jesus. So now you've got to understand why this is so tense. In one hand, if Jesus says, I don't care about this dude, don't pay your, don't pay your tax to him, then they've got him. And they don't even have to do the murder. In fact, it'll be a Roman-sponsored murder of Jesus. So you got to think about this. So they come to him with a question, and they ask the, the question to him. They say, uh, they, they say, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. But truly, you teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay the tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, that's either some genuine compliment or it's just fluff or it's false flattery. If they actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then they're coming to him with this question so that he would come out and confess his Messiahship so that the Romans would kill him. And if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, then he's also got another problem on his hands. The people would revolt against him. Why would the people revolt against him? Because of what they're anticipating him to do. So if Jesus also says, right, if he, if he says, don't give him anything, then we have a Roman incursion that could happen with Jesus or Roman murder that could happen with Jesus. Or, or, and if he says, give Caesar it all, then we got another problem. So there's this tension building. And so just imagine, again, it's close to Passover. Thousands of people, crowds are pressing in. The question builds a lot of tension. And you could probably hear a pin drop. And now notice Jesus' answer and his response. And in this moment, Jesus speaks, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? I mean, that's brilliant. That's like, you know, Jesus, I, I imagine it's, you know, really? Seriously. Like if, if I'm, thank God I'm not Jesus, by the way. But if I'm Jesus, I'm, I'm thinking through these things like, I'd have made y'all look like fools. And y'all going to try to get another question in why? 
It's like a reporter just constantly nagging him. And Jesus just responds to him. He's like, "Mm, why are you putting me to the test? I'm about to expose your junk before everybody. Bring me a denarius and, and let me look at it. And so they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Isn't that an interesting question? Why is Jesus asking it? Because because everybody knew who Caesar was, right? It's not like he was like some kind of no-name joker, like out of the woodworks of, you know, Beulah, Alabama. You know, ain't nobody ever heard of him. Who's Caesar who? You know, they're not dumb. Everybody knows who Caesar is. Jesus knows who Caesar is. It's a rhetorical question that Jesus is presenting to them. You know, Jesus is like, why, why, why are y'all flipping out over this guy? Caesar? And they said to him, Caesar's, of course, that's the obvious answer. And, and Jesus said to them, well, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And with this coin raised with everyone to see this evil, wicked, tyrant, of an oppressor. And Jesus says, look at him. Send it back to him. It's his. Why are you holding on to it anyway? That's that's Caesar's stuff. That is is Caesar's stuff, but his answer and his response doesn't end there. He says, and also give God what is his. The coin of, bears an image of a false god. And Jesus says, take this coin and you just give it right on back to him because it's his anyway. But then he says, you give God what is God's. What is God's? Who bears the image of God? You see what's happening here? That false god, Caesar, who cares? He'll fall one day. But you, you are image bearers of God. And so what is Jesus doing here? He is calling them. He is telling them, you give God all of you. That's, that's the power. And that's like with such authority. I imagine like everybody's just like... Oh, Jesus just went there. Okay. Again, throughout the gospel of Mark, what has Jesus been doing? Commanding and demanding our obedience and allegiance to him. And so Jesus pits the question back onto them. And, and, he, and he looks at this religious folks, these, and you know, by the way, like, like we have, these, these two groups of people, these Pharisees and, and, and these, these Herodians. And, and this is like, you know, if I may, this is like, you know, one who is ascribing to 
the Torah, they memorize the law, they, you know, they whip themselves into submission to it. On the other hand, ones who are colluding with Roman Empire, and it's, and it's almost like in modern terms, it's hard for us to kind of grasp our minds around this, but it's almost like liberals and conservatives, you know, having tea, together. I don't know who has tea, but they're like out having coffee and, and being like best bros, you know, they're, 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 they're creating a legislative matter that's going to benefit everybody. And by the way, if that ever happens, you better run because those two just do not mix. They're colluding together. These two opposite of the ends on a political spectrum are colluding together so that they can trap Jesus and Jesus flips things back around and he looks at them and he tells them, there's a side to choose. Whose side are you going to choose? Will you choose the side of Caesar, or will you choose the side of God? Because what is Jesus doing here? He is commanding, like displaying his authority. And because he has the authority, then it demands. And I know we don't like that word. So you're saying Jesus demands? You better believe it. He's the king of the universe. I don't think he'll demand anything. Okay, well, one day your knee will bow before him, whether you like it or not. And so the obvious option then is to bow before him now as king and not as the judge. And so Jesus is demanding our allegiance to him. And at this point, how Jesus has responded through all their foolishness. You know, they always walk away. Well, geez, I didn't know he was going to say that to me. You know, they just, you know, they just walk away, probably kicking the dust and like, oh, jolly willikers, he got me that time. But, but look how they respond this time. Look at the response. And it's just one sentence. And I love this response because I think this response really just kind of demands a question to be asked. And so their response was, and they marveled at him. Isn't that interesting? Because up until this point, they've been disappointed. They walk away with their tails tucked between their legs, and they're just like puppies who have just been abused. And, and But at this point, they, they look at, they see his response, and they're, they're just in awe. They marveled at Jesus. And I wonder, because I feel like that same question is being presented to us, and that question is, do you marvel at Jesus? Are you in awe of Jesus? Because of his authority, because of who he says he is, are you in awe? Do you marvel at Jesus. And maybe that little question, that rhetorical question, then if you if you haven't, then here here the other, maybe the question, if you haven't marveled at Jesus, because then I think there's another question in this text that is presenting itself to us. And and the question is, why are you putting him to the test? If you're not marveling at him, then there's something going on internally as you search your soul 
Why are, you, why are you testing Jesus out? He's not to be tested out. Why are you putting him to the test? In other words, why are you just playing games with him? If you are not marveling at Jesus, then the question that Jesus presents to us in this text is, why are you playing games with him then? Because that's what the Pharisees and the Herodians are doing. They're trying to trap, and they're, they're just simply playing games with Jesus. And my friends, for them, their time came to an end. And my friend, for us, if you play games with Jesus, one day your time will come to an end. And Jesus would echo out the same sentiment or the same question that needs to be answered before you leave this room. Are you marveled at Jesus? Are you in awe of him? Now, there is a second observation in this, and I do think it does have political um, attachments to it, right? And I think we would we'd miss a point here because... And my other observation from this text is that political agendas, they always take second place when it becomes, when you become a disciple of Jesus. Now, real quickly, if I may expand on this point, if you look at Luke chapter 6, verse 15, you can just jot that down. When you go to Luke, you'll find Luke is recording there the group of disciples uh, who were following Jesus at that point, and you'll, you'll notice a fellow by the name of Matthew. Matthew, and then maybe it was referenced as Levi, and Levi was what? A tax collector, big government, colluding with the Roman Empire. Wanted all your money, was, had a booth set up as a Jew, taxing his brothers and sisters, taxing the Jews, and the tax was from the Roman government. And he's likely banking off of it. It's like one of those Ponzi, like, title loan places, right? Like, charging you, like, 4,856% interest rate. Like, nobody, like, come on now. It, it's ridiculous. This is the same guy. Nobody likes him. Big government tax, tax, tax. And then you just, you don't go far down the story and you meet a man named Simon. And Simon is, who's referred to in Mark's account, the Canaanite. He's also referred to in Luke's version, Simon the Zealot. Now, Zealots, we're not going to pay their taxes. Anti-government. The Tea Party of the Jewish people. Taxation is demonic. Now, I agree with you. know. Hey, praise the Lord for that. But they, they just like took it to another level. And so just think about this for a second. You had big government, Matthew, and not this Matthew, and then you had no government at all, Simon the Zealot. What is the thing that united them? It wasn't politics, baby. I'm quite sure they had some interesting conversations about politics. The thing 
that united them is the same thing that unites us, even though we may have differences in economic views and in other types of views like that. But the thing that united these two gentlemen who were disciples of Yahweh, disciples of Christ, was the kingdom of Christ. That is what united them. And those conversations about taxation and non-taxation and economy and, and ecology and, and whatever ology you want to throw in there had to take a second row seat because the ultimate issue was the kingdom of God. And so whatever my political bents are, I have to maintain the focus is the kingdom of God. That's the focus. It's the kingdom of God. And I got to say, that's convicting for me. I work for a nonprofit that deals with what? Politics. I need therapy at this point. I mean, you know how bad the political world is. And even in my work that we do, we all have an understanding on our team that we're not fighting for a political agenda. We are fighting for the agenda of the king who rules over every square inch of the universe. That's our focus. Another just last observation, I got just a couple of questions after this. This passage also teaches us that there are also limits to government. I can imagine Jesus is like, you know, anytime Jesus asks a question, he's not, he's not dumb. He knows the answer. He's trying to pull things out of people so that they understand what's really happening. Who's this character on this coin? Oh, it's a guy posing as God. How interesting, because Jesus is God. And so Jesus is like, how interesting is it that a man is posing to be God and he's pretending to be God? You can take this coin and you can throw it back at him. Jesus is, it, what he's doing here is he's kind of ruffling the, the, the authorities a little bit. We understand that government is God-instituted. Let me, let me rephrase that because some of you just automatically thought, wait a minute, the United States government is God's authority? No, true government found in Romans 13, you go read it. We, we understand that, that we understand that there is a responsibility of government. But Acts 4.19, I came with receipts, y'all. Judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to obey the authorities here or to obey God. We're obeying God. Acts 4 is there to point out to us that there are limits to the jurisdiction of the state. And so when Jesus says, and he lifts up this coin, who is here? And they say, Caesar. He says, well, you know, you just give Caesar that little bit of, you know, that tax that he's asking for. And, and because, but he cannot get what belongs to God. And, and what belongs to God? Come on. Us, everything, all of life. Because the state cannot demand our worship. 
because the state is not Caesar or, or, or Lord. The state is not God. It cannot be worshiped because, and I feel like this is an obvious statement here, government makes a pathetic God. Unless you believe that it doesn't, then you got issues. I hate to break it to you. I'm just here to love you, okay? Lovingly show you the way of righteousness. Government makes a pathetic God. Government cannot, the state cannot be God. And God, in his implementation of the state, understands this, and we too ought to understand it. In fact, it's so interesting if you study through the early church and you study through this whole idea of Caesar. I mean, just just think about this for a second. Caesar is commanding people, worship me as Lord. Worship me as Lord because I am the Lord. I am God. I am the son of the divine. I am the high priest. He's making some bold, bold claims here. And for the church, they could not do that. So what are they going to do? Oh, well, the government told me I got to worship Caesar, so I guess I better fall under his authority and bow down before him. Do you really think that the early church would do that? No, of course not. Read your Bible. Read Philippians. Read Philippians, the very last verse of chapter 4. What does Paul say? Paul's in prison, and he looks at the church of Philippi, and he tells them, the household of Caesar sends his greetings. You, You see what's happening? A spiritual insurrection is taking place in the house of the emperor because they would not bow to Caesar as Lord because they understood that Jesus Christ is king. Sodom jokers are causing a spiritual insurrection in the palace of the oppressor. And the one who is doing the oppression is about to be sought out by this church. Let me just ask just a couple of questions. And I think the first question that Jesus is presenting to us, whose side are you on? That's, I mean, that's the obvious question when I'm reading through this text. Jesus, throughout this gospel, has been asserting his authority. And, and whoever has the authority gets to demand the allegiance. And the question is, is whose side are you on? Maybe the question, where are you placing your allegiance to? Are you, are, you pledge, like, are you placing your full allegiance to a government that's going to not be here forever? Like, you know, like democracy in the United States is only 250 years old. The Roman Empire fell and collapsed. Why would you place your hope into a thing that is not sustaining a relationship? Are you going to place your hope in, in riches, in, in, in a job, in all these things that are just so fleeting? 
Who are you going to put your allegiance to? Now, I want to show you this little past part of the story here. If you look at Luke chapter 23, somebody's amen to me. Thank you. Let the babies cry out. Hallelujah. Luke 23, in this case, it's not just the Pharisees and the Herodians and the it's the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, everybody. The whole Sanhedrin comes, the whole council of elders, and you see them identified back in verse 66. But in, if you go back to the, so that's the whole body in chapter 23 of Luke, verse 1. They got up in the whole body, they got up and brought him, Jesus, before Pilate. They brought Jesus, before, this is just a couple days after this sort of uh, you know, interrogation, if you can even call it that. Uh, and so they bring him up before Pilate and they begin to accuse him. Now listen to what, uh, listen to what it says. We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding them to pay taxes to Caesar. If flattery didn't work, then lying seems to be working. Did Jesus say, do not pay your taxes? What are they doing? They, you know, flattery ain't going to be, you know, they're trying to coerce Jesus into saying that he's the Messiah so that they can have Rome do the, the dirty work for them. Jesus didn't fall into it. They've tried to trap him time and time again. So what do they do? That's not going to work. Then we have to result, resolve ourselves to lie about him. He said that we shouldn't pay our taxes. What are you going to do about it, Pilate? Because you know by law that what he's doing is he's trying to cause an insurrection in the Roman Empire it's quite, it's quite interesting. They turned him into a threat to Rome. They lie about him. A nation that hates Jesus will just lie about Jesus, and that's what they're doing. And you say, okay, I, I would never do that. I would never, you know, lie. I would never try to you know, play games with Jesus. Well, I got just one more thing. Uh, Matthew twelve thirty. He that is not with me is against me. Again, I have to ask you this question. Whose side are you on? There is no middle fence. There's no, you, there's no middle ground. Whose side are you on? Are you on the Lord's side? And I think this other in this last question here, have you rendered to God what is his? And we go through this and we think, what does belong to God? That's everything. It isn't a partial amount of your life. It's all of your life. It isn't half of your doubts. It's, it's all of them. It isn't half of your cares. It's all of it. It isn't half of your sin and half of your shame. You lay it out the feet of Jesus. You render to God what is God's and what is God's. It's all of you. It's, it's all of life for Christ.